mean, you've been putting in work for so long. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode three, Putting In Work. I'm John Peck, and today's guest is a dear friend of mine, Jesse Cusworth, the co-founder of the Zion Manufacturing Company, but he's also the dude that created the logo for the podcast you're listening to right now, and he designed the front cover for my book that you might have seen around the traps if you follow me on social media. So uh, he's a very talented individual with design work and many other things. It's not even his day job. It's just something he does in his spare time. And Jesse's always scheming. He's always got something coming up, something he's working on, a project here and there, whether it's for one of his friend's companies or starting his own. And that's what we're talking about today. Uh, Jesse's gone from uh, designing t-shirts in high school to designing high-end quality watches. And I'll let him explain exactly what it is because I don't know a thing about watches. But here he is. Enjoy the show. Thanks for joining me today, Jesse, co-founder of Zion Manufacturing Company. No worries, John. Thanks for having me on the show today. It's all right. You are my third guest. You've got some tough competition so far, but I'm sure you'll deliver. Yeah, I have listened into uh, episode one and two. I've got a lot to live up to, but I'm willing to do so today, if possible. Well, you're also someone who started their own company. So tell us a bit about how you went from selling $30 t-shirts to $1,000 watches. In, uh, I was probably in high school, year 11, for you Americans, that's, I don't know, senior high school, is that what they call it? Yeah, it's like the one before sophomore year. <laughs> yeah, sure, let's go with that. No, it's, self- it's sophomore year. Sophomore year, yep. I don't know, we don't know, um, we're Australian. My second last year of high school, if that clarifies it for anyone. So I started doing visual communication and design, I'd always had a passion to sort of design things and logos and really got into sort of skate style uh, streetwear and started designing t-shirts for a project sort of it took off from there some people were pretty interested in what I was doing and wanted to buy some so I started trying to make a bit of extra money on the side I was a pretty poor sort of student so thought I'd make the extra cash while I could started designing some t-shirts and selling them I ended up pretty much running at a loss for the first couple of years which is fine but yeah then ended up sort of realizing that my skills were a bit more developed than just putting logos on t-shirts and after a bit of a cool discussion with one of my friends who is the other co-founder of Zion Manufacturing Company we started putting together a bit of a project for a um for a watch yeah cool 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 the watch itself tell us a bit about the tourbillon and why it costs so much money yeah so the tourbillon is french for whirlwind i still feel pretty silly trying to say it because i'm not french oh you do all right oh thanks i appreciate that yeah so it's um, a complex automatic mechanical movement. So rather than, say, ticking and relying on a battery like your quartz sort of watches do, or even being a standard automatic watch with a high beat rate, the tourbillon spins on its own rotational axis, so it eliminates any issues of lost time or misinterpreted time by spinning rather than beating at a high frequency or ticking like your traditional sort of quartz watch. So it's just a fancy-ass watch. It's a pretty fancy watch made up of over 150 uh, individual pieces yeah. and runs on its own kinetic energy. So pretty much the movement that it gains from you moving your wrist around on a day-to-day basis will power the watch to then run for more and more time. Sure. You, you sound like you know what you're talking about, but you weren't really a big watch guy going into this? No, definitely not. So I guess my skills sort of lie in the actual design 
um, and the aesthetic sort of composition of how the watch looks. My business partner... Shout out to Michael. Shout out to Michael. Uh, yes, Bridgman35 on Twitter if you want to check him out. He was looking for a watch to go to a bit of a dinner that he had to go to and was yeah, trying to find something that was reasonably priced but also pretty fancy, pretty nice looking. Was really struggling to find exactly what he wanted and he's got some sort of connections and stuff with his, with his dad's business over in Hong Kong and China. So he was like, well, if I could get Jesse on board, maybe we can collaborate, build something. He sort of has the business mind and I've got the design skills. So mm. we just started designing probably took about 18 months for the project to sort of take shape yeah now we have a have a watch and do you find that people i know you've been involved in some other projects too do you find people come to you because they know that you're up for this kind of thing and they know that you'll put in some of the hard work yeah i think so i think as well like my skill set i guess as much as i'm learning sort of the business side and some of the other things like my skill set really lies in that design a little bit of social media marketing and just creating content had a, sort of a few people come to me and saying like I've got this idea can you help me sort of bring it to life or at least you know make it look um, legitimate look look professional obviously yourself with the book which was a really cool project that we worked on which we can talk about mm. um, was working on another project at the moment with a friend who uh, is a cricket bat craftsman so hummingbird cricket which will be available late August which I've sort of helped Brent out with some designs and um, some sure. social media and yeah, that sort of stuff. Making the magic happen, as we call. Making the magic happen. So, what does it take to do this? Like, a lot of people have ideas, and you're admittedly a procrastinator. So, to actually design something and actually get it from the screen to reality, what's the steps involved there that you find are the hardest? For sure is finding, like, where your concept on a computer screen turns into something real and tangible. So that's the toughest part for me. Like, it's easy for me. I can make something look really professional or make it look real on a computer. Um, but then to actually turn it into a working, living, sometimes not living, um, but working sort of project. Yeah. So for the watch as well, like, a prime example would be, um, like, I had all these designs. Like, I spent hours and hours designing this watch and it looked really great. But the guy that makes the watch, the actual supplier, was like, oh, this isn't, some of this stuff, like, isn't actually physically possible. Um, so I think that sort of, that time when you turn your idea or concept into something physical yeah. is probably the most difficult part. Sure, so it's partly your creative ideas and then partly your limitations of um, the design as well, like the manufacturing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's hard, like, you're always trying to be innovative and um, push boundaries and so... I always sort of err to the side of going over the top, which can really frustrate some suppliers or manufacturers because they're like, what is this guy doing? But at the same time, I want to create something that's really exciting, really high quality and does push the boundaries. So I just got to try and run with that. And some of these watches, they're going for what, like five, ten grand? Yeah, so the Torbjorn movement... Um, Not yours, but these others, yeah. Yeah, so my watch uh, will retail at about um, 2,200 Australian. But, yeah, like your high-end, really mechanical um, watches and tourbillons can sell, you know, upwards of um, 600000 I think um, it's just been the Australian Open here in Australia and uh, Rafael Nadal was wearing a uh, Richard Malay, which was valued at $1.2 US million. 
Wow, man. So that was pretty insane, like, to see him actually playing on the court with a watch that expensive. Seems irresponsible. It does, but it is named after him, so uh, I'll let him do what he wants. He's a pretty rich, cool sort of guy. Did you say two... I've been underselling. I've been saying a $1,000 watch, but 2200 Yeah, so they'll start um, retail at 2200 The Kickstarter is probably what you're thinking of. We'll start at about yes. 1300 Okay. So people can get in early and get a really great price on like a pretty unbelievable sort of watch. Sure, sure. And so, so Jesse and I were both sort of crowdfunding at the same time, me with my book and Jesse with his watch. So we've shared a lot of these stories already, but let's talk a bit more about the Kickstarter and the issues that happened through that process. Yeah, so the Kickstarter was pretty interesting, a massive learning curve for me. It's obviously... As I sort of stated before, like my skills are in sort of creating that sense of value and making something look legitimate. And granted, it was a legitimate watch, so I'm not trying to fool anybody out there. But <laughs> uh, we hadn't, uh, it was unsuccessful, unfortunately. We had a goal to sell 62 watches, and we got to about 48. And it just really lost some momentum. And a lot of with Kickstarter, the algorithms are that if you're doing well, then you'll be featured higher and more people will stumble across your watch by looking at it so unfortunately and that number was set by the manufacturers saying this is the minimum we can make yeah well the minimum order quantity was 100 but to reach that sort of what we would have to pay obviously it was about 62 sales so halfway through that he was like i think there was a bit of a miscommunication probably didn't talk things out and i was pretty hasty and sort of getting the project going that I probably, it was probably an oversight on my behalf actually that he was like, oh, actually, no, we can sort of drop that minimum order quantity. And with Kickstarter, you can't really just like change it. You've got to like cancel it and start it again. So you've got to wait like another 30 days, rebuild your project. And yeah, so if everybody that had committed to buying a watch in the first project had sort of moved across to the new campaign, we would have been there like home Mm. and hosed within sort of two or three hours, but unfortunately we sort of lost some guys in the grey area of the change and yeah, so we're going to go at it again sometime in the new year, so let's say maybe in the next two to three months, we'll be back on the road, hopefully you'll be wearing a Zion watch on your wrist. Oh yeah, absolutely, that's definitely in my in my budget. That's <laughs> it, you need to sort out some advertising for putting in work. Yeah, maybe so. And uh, tell us a little bit about, like I know how hard that was for you from just our friendship and conversations but what was it like to first of all have that realization halfway through your project that you'd already be finished by now if you'd done things a little differently or if there'd been better communication and also the ongoing effort to get to the end and not making it so I guess it was it was pretty frustrating at the start I mean I sort of see myself as a pretty good communicator who pours their their life into any project they're undertaking which can be a negative thing, but also you can reap the rewards of if things sort of come to pass. And pretty disappointing at the start to realise that we'd sort of made a mistake. And I think as well, it, it came down to sort of my hastiness in getting the project done. Like as much as I say that I'm a good communicator, often my excitement around a project can dent that communication. And I'm just like, yeah, let's just get it done. Let's get it done. So I probably overlooked some things there. And yeah. Yeah, like it was disappointing, but at the same time, I haven't lost anything. I mean, I've lost time, but it's not as if I sort of committed, you know, mine and my wife's money in a large, large amount to make this happen and sort of made the mistakes myself. So there's a number of things that come into play, but yeah, it's all a learning curve. And, you know, next time when we release it later this year, 
we've got things to go off and um, things to learn from from last time. And it's also helped in other projects that I'm sort of undertaking at the same time, just learning to take my time and um, commit to them. Yeah, that's good. So what would yeah. you say have been the main lessons you've learned? Build a following before you launch. If you're going to undertake a Kickstarter, much like you know with your book, mm. you sort of need people that are going to commit to buy it because mm. momentum is Yeah, you really got to key. hit that first day hard. Yeah, that's it. And if people people buy it and the other people see people buying it, like it's a bit of a crowd attracts a crowd sort of thing. Like if people are watching and looking, then people are like, oh, what's that? I'm going to check that out for myself. So yeah, much like you've done with the book, you know, people, you get people tweeting about it, you get people talking about it, then their friends like it, their friends check it out, their friends potentially buy it. And creating that that sort of fan base or established sort of by a group beforehand is imperative absolutely um, you can't just rely on traffic coming to the website for sure because if you have a really cool product product and nobody knows about it then it's nothing you know that's it i like to make the comparison to the busker they've got their you know guitar case or their akubra whatever they've got sitting there with a few coins in it yeah. and a couple of five dollar notes that they've probably thrown in there when they yeah. first started playing because if people walk past and there's nothing in there, they just kind of assume that this guy's yeah, exactly. not legit yeah. or doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And like just to go back a little bit, you put in a massive amount of work. Like you say that building up that interest before launching is important, but you did that really. Like you had a prof- really professional video, you had uh, Instagram posts and you had some reviews for the watch on different blogs. Yeah, um, we did put a fair bit of work Putting in. Putting in work. Yeah, put in work, put in work. Uh, in all honesty, we probably could have done more. Like, so a lot of guys that sort of launch their watches in particular will put in sort of 12 months work of getting people to do reviews, building a following on forums, um, meeting with people. And we sort of had some delays in the manufacturing process. So we, we couldn't really start promoting until we had the actual sample or the prototype arrive to Australia. Mm. Um, and that was sort of delayed by two to three months. So that sort of chipped away in our time. And then we had some other stuff going on. Michael was getting married. So we wanted to try and get it done before then. And we honestly, we probably just rushed ourselves. So like we did get a lot of really good reviews. So there was uh, The Man Has Style, which is a men's style and fashion blog. Uh, Man of Many Tastes, which was another one from Sydney. Micro Brand Watch World. We had a bit of exposure, but potentially with more money behind us and more time behind us, we would have just had a, a larger reach and a larger audience. Sure. So do you still think Kickstarter was the ideal platform for what your product is or are there others out there that might be used next time instead? Yeah, this one's a tough one, I guess. Like Kickstarter probably has the most traffic of all the crowdfunding platforms that I know of sure. um, that are sort of product specific. Um, we've been approached by Indiegogo to look with them. Look, there's probably no real right answer. So Indiegogo probably has less traffic than Kickstarter, but um, also less traffic means there's less people using them. So potentially there's less watches, which is a good thing for us, but also it can be a negative thing. Like if people know there's no watches there, then they're not going to go looking for watches there. But at the same time, there's less competition for us in watches. So sure. um, with Kickstarter, there's heaps and heaps and heaps of watches, which is good because people go there and people that aren't sort of on the forums or Facebook groups will go there and just check out, like, I want a new watch. I'll just go buy a new startup brand. But there's so much more competition. So there's probably no right or wrong answer. Kickstarter, we had a good experience with. Their support's really great. You can contact them and they're usually back to you within sort of 
two to three hours, depending if it's um, business hours or over the American weekend sort of takes a bit longer. But um, yeah, for the most part, our experience was really good. Don't have a bad thing to say about any of them. Except that they wouldn't let you change a campaign halfway through. Yeah, and that's like, I get <laughs> yeah, that. Like, <laughs> it's disappointing. But I did email them and they were cool about it. They were like, look, you know, if we did that for everyone, then we'd have stuff changing all over the place yeah. and people not getting the product that they actually wanted. So, yeah, I get that. I respect and, that. And why do you think the people that committed in the first instance weren't back for more? Like, is it because they're spending so much on a watch that they're fickle and just moving on to the next thing? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of guys don't care. Like, they're just like, yeah. I'll spend that much on a watch because, you know, I earn that much a day. So if that sort of doesn't happen, then I'll just buy something else. Um, mm. A lot of it also comes from probably us losing a little bit of trust with them by having to restart it. Um, it could yeah. seem a little bit dodgy. Also, I think we had like a couple of guys because um, I sort of contacted everyone and said, hey, guys, thanks for your support. We're going to move across to this new Kickstarter. Here's the link. If you could jump on, that'd be great. And I had a few guys sort of write back and be like, look, Sorry, I've just had like my car, my wife's car broke down. I'm gonna have to get it fixed. I can't afford a watch, and or like I found out I'm pregnant. I got a baby on the way, and I was like, oh, I get that. Like that's life. That's mm. you know, I don't expect them to buy into what I'm doing if they've got like big life things changing or cars to repay or houses to buy. I respect that. Yeah, and I guess that's the tough thing with selling something that's kind of high end because you can't just expect your friends to come in and chip in. Like with my book, a lot of my friends that don't even read have bought copies, pre-order copies, but, you know, asking someone to plonk down a grand for a watch is probably pretty difficult. Yeah, it's a different story. Like, so we're in a bit of a community with other micro brand owners and they were, we were chatting and they sort of said you can, you can pin sort of 20% of your sales to family and friends that are just going to support you on your first Kickstarter. And we lose automatically that 20% because none of our friends are in a position to buy um, that sort of watch. Like, I'm not even trying to sell this watch to myself, let alone my friends. Yeah. It's sort of on another level. So, yeah, you sort of just have to live with that, and that's okay. I know my friends aren't rich. Yeah. One day they will be when they sell a whole bunch of books <laughs> and become a famous author. <laughs> you got to get some new friends. That's it. And so have you thought about making a cheaper watch, more affordable? Maybe, you know, in the, like, $100 price range? Yeah, look, we have. So there are a number of sort of off-the-shelf movements that you can use that would bring our price dramatically down. The reason we went with the Torbjorn in the start was because it's it's insane. Like, there's so many moving parts. It's beautiful to watch. Pun not intended. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's really great. Like, we wanted to sort of push boundaries, as I was saying before, and do something that hadn't been done because no micro brand had sort of released a watch like that. Yeah. Um, potentially, in the future, we'll bring that price down on a different watch with a more... I guess, more, a more standard sort of yeah. movement because the movement is actually the part that's going to cost the most. So if you can drop that price, say, down from like $500 from the movement down to like 40 or $50, then you're talking in sort of the couple hundred dollar range for that watch and then quartz even cheaper again. So we want to maintain a sense of value and quality in our watches so we won't be doing the insanely cheap sort of stuff, but um, we potentially will move on to more affordable options in the future definitely excellent and that brings me to my last question what would you do if you knew you could not fail if i could not fail yeah i'd probably continue with this watch uh, as own manufacturing company i would do something crazy like we're talking some richard malay automar sort of stuff crazy designs it's like people are like what is that but i want it 
and then I would use the money to buy an NBA team for sure. Which team? Are we talking which team now or which team when I have that million dollars in a couple of years? Well, you can't buy a team now, so... Yeah, okay. So in a couple of years, let's say, let's for specifics, let's go with five years. I'll buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. They've got a lot of potential, yeah. and I think they're going to go win some championships. You heard it here first. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow Jesse on Twitter, he is at JR Cusswear. Give the old Zion Manufacturing Company a Google and see how you can follow them as well. I am at Jono himself, and until next time, keep putting in work.